Just uh, make one clarification. The prayer cards, uh, that was Friday night. We did have 28 people here praying Friday night. It was such a special anointing in our time of prayer. And, and so I encourage you to come and be a part of that. And God, it was really in our midst. And for each of you who have taken the time to fill out a prayer card, as Sister Antoinette said, we presented those things directly to the throne of God. If there was a name on it, we've called that name up. And, and everyone who was here took those cards and prayed over them. And we, we don't do that. just to, We think it matters. We think God will move. And so it's so good to have you here this morning. If you're visiting with us, I want to say you're welcome here. And uh, we're glad you're here with us. In addition to that, um, your, your email address on that Connect card if you'll put your name and some information so we know a little bit about you. So, and also, I just want to reemphasize the emails. We are getting a lot, all those announcements that you just heard, we're pushing all those things out on email. It is just the most efficient way to communicate. And so you will get your email. If you're one of those that don't check emails that much, if you will keep a check on your email because we're pushing a lot of information out, <clears throat> out that way. Also, for those of you who stood up that took the New Beginnings class, if you might remember, there was such a connection with that group that when we did that New Beginnings class. They really bonded. And um, Sister um, Randall, Trish Randall. Trish, stand up for us so everybody will know who you are and stay up for just a second. So Trish had, had, had said she would like to have that group come to their house because so much conversation was started there, edifying conversation amongst that group. And so next Sunday after church, if you attended the membership class, and that doesn't mean that you have to mean that you're joining, if you would like to go out to Bob and Trish Randall's home, they're asking that you bring an appetizer, and they're going to just let that new group continue to grow and bond. And, and so I sent that out on an email. I did hear from some of you. Some of you I did not. So if you're in that group and you want to do that after church, see Sister Trish and let her know that you're planning on coming, and it'll be, it'll be right after church Sunday. One of the things we've decided to do, we, we try to reach out and bless our community. And so one of the things we've decided to do this year, Christian Assembly used to do this when I was in the, in the police department in a substation here. This, this church sits in District 2. And every district has an officer of the month for something uh, uniquely uh, heroic that they may have done or, or outside the norm. And what Christian Assembly did years ago was they would give a gift card to the officers of the month. That, and so we've decided that stopped. So we've decided to pick that up as a church. So starting next month, we're going to recognize the officers of the month here that, that work in our district. And I just want to read to you, the captain of the district sent this to me. Uh, December 27th, officers uh, Huertas and Quattro responded to a cardiac arrest of a three-month-old infant. Without hesitation, Officer Huertas began administering CPR while Officer Quattro applied the AED pads. Once paramedics arrived on the scene, the infant was transported to the hospital. While en route to the hospital, Officer Quattro rode in the back of the ambulance and relentlessly continued to administer CPR on the infant. Once at the hospital, doctors were able to regain a pulse. Officer Huertas and Officer Quattro responded with a high level of training and readiness in this critical moment, undoubtedly saving the young child's life. And so I thank God for men and women like that that are willing to come in. And can you imagine, parents? And so Officers Huertas and Quattro will be getting a Chick-fil-A gift card from us at Bethel just for the service that they provide for us. So you'll hear that each month when the commander sends it to me, I'll send it to you. And I just want to thank you for your giving and how we can reach out and bless uh, our community like that. Well, this last week, uh, while I was at Durham Ministers in Prayer, and also several of my friends called me and they said, well, how did your first week go? 
as pastor of Bethel. I said, well, they ain't fired me yet. So I said, so far, so good. I said, but it's only a weekend. And, uh, and so, and then last week we had uh, pregnancy support services with us. And uh, I preached a message on life. And it can be controversial in our culture. It's one of the flashpoints, if you will, of what's going on in our culture. Well, today I'm going to deal with another controversial issue in our culture, and it's the issue of race. I had hoped to do that message last week. Uh, last Monday was Martin Luther King Jr. Day, where we recognized a man who saw the injustices of racial disparities in our, in our nation. Uh, but PSS, the 15th, was the only day they could do it, so I pushed it back to this week. Martin Luther King Jr. was, was, a, was a Baptist minister, a prominent activist and civil rights leader that used nonviolent protests, civil disobedience, and legislative action to advance the rights of people of color through the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, and Fair Housing Act, all in the mid to late 60s. He's best known for, what he, for his I Have a Dream speech delivered on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in 1963. Dr. King was assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee on April 4, 1968. Martin Luther King Jr. Day was signed into federal law in 1986 by President Ronald Reagan. Race relations and the divisive nature of them tend to make us want to shy away from such topics. But in all things as followers of Christ, we should know what the scriptures teach in this area and be prepared to be salt and light to the culture and in this, in this area as well. Now, I must admit that as I started putting this together, and I, I've had this outline for some time, and as I put this together, I have struggled with this, I want to tell you, because of the divisive nature of it. And, I, and it was so many times I was thinking, ah, Larry, just, let's just leave this alone. Let's just, let's just leave this alone. But I never could in my spirit just leave it alone for fear that I may say something that may be misunderstood just by the sheer nature of the topic. And also, in case you have not noticed, I'm white. I'm white. And I'm also a career law enforcement officer, so in the eyes of some people, I'm not even qualified to speak on this topic because in many circles, I'm part of the problem. However, just like many issues we face today, we must be prepared to speak biblical truth into this issue. And if the Bible speaks to it, we all are qualified to speak to it. However, I do think this is one area of many areas, including the issue of life, but in this area, it's important that we listen to one another. It is important. There's so many people screaming, so many people holding signs that nobody's sitting down to listen to each other. And it's important that I listen to people who do have a different lived experience than I do. Recently, myself and a pastor by the name of Brett Librand, Brett pastors uh, Hope Creek Church. He's a young man, I guess in his 40s, and he's a regular attender uh, to DMIP. Our ministers in prayer, and we were going out to a prayer site to pray where there had been some violence in the city. And uh, Gloria Rentrope was, was with us. And some of you know Gloria. She's come out to the Love Life Prayer. Gloria Rentrope is a, is a black female. She's in her 70s. I think she's found the fountain of youth, though, because she does not look that old, right? And so we were traveling back, and we were coming by the, the museum of, I mean, the School of Science and Math, and I think what she said was she used to work there. And as we come by, she said, yeah, I used to work there, and there used to be an entrance for whites and an entrance for blacks. And that was just incredible to me, because I've never experienced that, but Gloria did. So Brett and I began to talk to her and listen to her, but what superintended that conversation when you have people who love the Lord first was a sense of unity, 
sense of knowing there's things that's been done wrong, but there has to be forgiveness and there has to be reconciliation. And there in that car, we had a significant conversation about the racial issues that are still facing our society today and how the gospel of Jesus Christ is still the solution to it. So what does the Bible teach us about race? And how do we answer questions posed to us from the culture on these issues? Lord, I thank you for your presence that's been here. I thank you for the people that are here. Lord, and as we look at this topic, Lord, as with all topics, you've given us your word and you said that everything we need for life and godliness is written down here. And so, Lord, I, uh, I pray, God, that uh, you'll, you'll guide my words and you'll guide the hearts of those to hear it. And that, Lord, what you had intended for your people, we will experience, which is a unity and love under the cross of Jesus Christ. So we thank you and we praise you today in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles or your smartphones, and it'll be up on the screen, if you'll open to Acts 17 and 26. Acts 17, 26. And this is the key verse. 17 says this. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. He had, been, he had been witnessing to some people that it was a tomb of an unknown God. He was telling them about the one true God. And of that God, he made this statement. He said, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. So I thought it was what, what came into my mind as I was sitting and preparing for this was there's some fundamental truths I think we have to start with when we start thinking about these issues. And I've started out with those. And this outline, oftentimes I tell you it's more for me than it is for you. But I hope maybe you'll write something down that I say. Maybe you'd like to study it a little bit more. There'll be some things I'll talk about that you could go and study. I, and so you, I may say something you disagree with. Quite frankly, I hope that you do. I don't know everything. And you might come up to me and say, I think it's this way, or I studied it that way. That's, that's growing together, because I'm certainly not going to know it all. So I hope you'll take it and maybe make some notes. But the first fundamental truth is there is one race, the human race. And that's what Paul said. He said that God has made from one blood every nation. So there is only one race. That is the human race. You know, I said last week when we were talking about life that science is starting to be in our, in our favor when it comes to the issue of life. That even those who may not stand on the, on the side of life because the, that's what the Bible teaches, they can no longer de deny the science of it. They can no longer go and look at an ultrasound and say that's just a blob of cells. So science is, is really starting to show, which is no surprise to me, and I'm sure it's no surprise to you, that what the Scripture teaches is true. Well, the same is true in this area. How many of you have heard in here of Y-chromosomal Adam or mitochondrial Eve? Has anybody heard that? A few, okay. A few. Now, I had this outline ready for some time, and, and my son Colin, he didn't know that I was preparing this message, and he happened, to, we, he happened to strike that up. I said, I've never heard of that, so I'm not that smart. I got it from him. And so I began to research it. And here's what that why chromosomal Adam and mitochondrial Eve is. And you can take and write that down and you can look it up for yourself because it, it can get kind of technical, but I'm going to put it in real simple terms because it's got to be in simple terms for me. 
What that is is that scientists have said and has proven that every man, every, every man in here, you can be traced back to one man. They have got the science, the technology, even secular scientists are saying it today, that through the Y chromosome that we carry, we can be traced back, that the human race can be traced to one man. And it also said that because of, now mitochondrial Eve, they carry the X and the Y chromosome, that every person alive, man and female, and it's because of how you, where you get your, your DNA. You get the, a man gets a Y from his dad. He gets the X and a Y from his, from his mother. I'm not going to go into all that. But they say that every person alive, if you're sitting in here today, secular scientists will tell you they can, that your genetics go all the way back to one woman. So, and, and they have named them chromosomal Adam and mitochondrial Eve. Those are secular scientists. Now, you say, well, great. That proves that the Bible's true. Now, we know, we know who that one woman and one man is. Who is that? It's Adam and Eve because the Bible says that's who it was, and that's what we believe. Now, our, our evolution's friends are not going to jump that quick and, and join with us yet because what they say is, wait a minute, it does not prove that. It just proves that we can be traced to one man and one woman. It could have been someone else, okay? But we know who that one man and one woman was. Why? Because Genesis 3.20 says this, Adam called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. So mitochondrial, uh, mitochondrial Eve and Y-chromosomal Adam, folks, we all come from what God created. God created Adam and Eve. That started the human race, and we can be traced to it. We're all one blood. Fundamental truth two, all people are created in the image of God. I'm not going to spend much time on this. We spent a lot of time on this last week when we were talking about life. But everybody in here is created in the image of God. You bear his image. That's what makes you worthy of dignity, of being treated dignified, of being treated respectful, is you are made in the very image of God. When you look in the mirror, when you look at someone, although they may look different from you, they bear God's image. And the scriptures tell us that. Then the last one, prejudice and racism on any people group is a sin. It's a sin. And until we call things what we are, we won't deal with those things. We won't deal with those things. When I was still working, and for those of you who are still working, particularly if you're working in the government, I would imagine you've heard this term implicit bias. Implicit bias. What implicit bias says is that we all have biases, whether we recognize them or not, whether we acknowledge them or not. And many times, unfortunately, that's used to make one group feel guilty. And I went through some of those things at times, and I felt guilty. You get angry and say, wait a minute, I think we're trying to pit one against the other. But I did not necessarily have a problem with that idea. Because as Tony Evans said, Tony Evans said that the world takes what the Bible calls something, and it calls it something different. We call what, the, what we call addictions, the Bible calls strongholds. And if you've ever known anyone that's addicted to drugs or alcohol or pornography, you know that that's a stronghold. If that's ever been true in your life, you know that it can be a stronghold. It's just something you just cannot seem to break. The world will say it's an addiction. The scripture says it's a stronghold. Well, the same is true here. The world may say we'll have a, an implicit bias. I could accept that concept because what I have is a sin nature. It's there. It's always wanting to rear its ugly head. It's there. Whether it's in this, whether it's in lust, 
whether it's in greed, whether it's in power, whatever it is, there's always something there that if we don't keep close to the Lord, if we don't stay close to Him, stay close to His people, stay close to His Spirit, it will jump out and it, it is ready. It, there, there's, a, there's a scripture in Genesis that I love. It says, sin is crouched at the door, ready to jump. And some of you are shaking your heads because it's probably jumped on you because it tries to jump on me and has jumped on me. So I have this thing in me. It's called a sin nature. We've mentioned the Supper Club here a few times. I, I, um, I hope we, we, we advertise this. There will be some more opportunities for this. I have a lot of desires for our church, but one of them is that we have a hunger to evangelize. The world needs to hear what we got to say. They want to hear what we have to say. And so a, a wonderful way for you to evangelize the nations, and they have made it it's so simple for you. I've been through it, Brother uh, Michael and Sister Christy have been through it. There's some training to end of this month. It's too late, I think, for this time, but there'll be some more. But what happens, there'll be some training at a church. It's two hours. You go in, you take the training. It's very simple. It's nothing complicated. And at that training, they will assign you two international students from Duke. Because what they know is that international students want to come into the home of American. They'll come here, spend four years in college, six years, ever how long. They'll never come into the home of an American. They want to see how we live. Just as if you went to another country, you'd want to know how they live. And so they come and they sign you a, a dinner. And you, you say, okay, this month, this month, and this month, on this day, I'm going to invite them into my home. And you just simply prepare dinner for them. And you simply talk to them. And you, but the goal, what's the goal? The goal is to get to the gospel. And they will listen to it. We had Yang from China, and he was freshly from China. And we had DeBraj from India in our home. And as I began to talk to Yang and DeBraj, I talked about a lot of things that first day, just to, you know, build that relationship. We talked about things like their economy, crime, guns, all the things that we would talk about that's going on here in our culture. But one of the things I asked them, I said, do you guys have prejudice there? I mean, everybody looks alike for the most part in these countries. They said, yes, we do. Well, what's it based on? They said it can be based on region. Many times it's based on class. So what does that tell me? That tells me that there is something inherently in that sin nature that wants to usurp authority over someone else. That is just part of our sin nature, and we must acknowledge it if we're ever going to deal with it. Where does it come from? Well, James 4.1 tells us where it comes from. He says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? That's where it comes from. It's that sin nature. It's that thing in me that wants to well up. It's that thing in me that wants to, to uh, satisfy the sin nature. In this case, it could be that I want to feel superior to this group or they want me to feel inferior to them. Fundamental truths. There's one race, the human race. Science is even showing us that. But the Bible has always told us that. All people are created in the image of God. And prejudice and racism on any group is sin. So if that's true, and I do want to say this, I don't think I'll get through all this uh, today. If I don't, we'll finish it next week. Because there's some things I don't want to rush through. Well, Brother Larry, if that's true, then where did the races come from? I mean, we look so different. There's, there's lots of races and ethnicities. And if we're created from one blood, where, where did they come from? Why do we all look so different? Well, first thing you'll see there, it's not the result of a curse. For many years, people used the curse, what they called the curse of ham, to say that people of dark colored skin 
were cursed of God. Many of the, those who uh, supported the slave trade would use this to justify their actions, and they said it was a curse of God. We'll say, well, where, what are you talking about? I'm not, I'm not familiar with that. Well, Noah and his sons and his daughter-in-laws were saved. God wiped out mankind. You know the story of the ark. And after they got off the ark, not long after they got off the ark, Noah planted a vineyard. And guess what Noah did? Noah got drunk. He got drunk and fell asleep in his tent. Well, Ham, one of his sons, decided to go into that tent, and he saw his dad in there. And he looked upon his nakedness, the Bible says. And he went back out, and rather than honoring his dad, I'm going to tell you, this is a key scripture, young man, that you should honor your father and your mother. Okay? But rather than honoring his dad, he goes out and he gets his brothers. He gets his brothers, Seth and Jephthah. He says, come on in here and look at dear old dad. Come look at this righteous man and what he's done. And the other two sons say, what have you done? What are you doing? What are you doing? And they took a sheet and they put it on and they walked it back in the tent. And the Bible says they covered their dad's nakedness. Well, he woke up and he knew what had happened. So the Bible says that he cursed Canaan. He didn't curse Ham. He cursed Canaan. Canaan was one of Ham's sons. And the lineage of Canaan can be traced back to many of the areas that are of the African culture. So many people said, that's what happened. It was okay. We can, we can put a stamp of approval on slavery or racism against particular people because God cursed them. That was a very prevalent doctrine at one time. But it wasn't true. It wasn't true. Because the reality of it is that church, if we want to take this book and we want to sort through it and find something in it that supports our ideas, we can do that. People have done it for years. That's why the scripture says take the whole counsel of God. That's why it's important to read this book through the Holy Spirit as you read through it. Not to go to it and say, okay, I've got a position here and I'm going to go find something in here that supports my position. People are doing that all the time. We see it today. We've seen it just recently, and I'm going to say something. I struggled with making this statement. I'm going to make it. Don't get mad at me. If you do, just come up and tell me it made you mad. But we've done it recently with the pandemic, didn't we? Didn't some, one, one group say, well, you know what? If you don't wear your mask or take a vaccine, you don't love your neighbor as yourself. You can't be a Christian because I've got this right here in the book. And the other side said, well, you know what? If you do that, you're ready to take the mark of the beast. You're going to do whatever they tell you to do. And we took God's word and we made it fit our little narrative. That's not the purpose of God's word. We come to God's word in light of Hebrews 4.12. And Sister Christy, you don't have this either and that's okay. Hebrews 4.12 says this, The word of God is living and it's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to division of the soul and the spirit. Joints and marrow. And then it says this, it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of man's heart. So when I come to God's Word, I don't want to come to it looking for it to justify what I want to do. I want to come to it and open it up and say, Lord, discern the thoughts and intents of my heart. Root out what you want to root out in me. Because there's still things in my heart that need to be rooted out. And it Word will do that if you let it. But the origin of the races was not the result of a curse. So where did it start then? Couple, couple opinions on this. Many think it was at the Tower of Babel. If you know the story of the Tower of Babel, after 
after uh, Noah and his generation began to repopulate, God told him, he said, go populate the earth. Go populate the earth. But what happened, they went to a place called Shinar. And Nimrod, one of, in Noah's lineage also, they decided, we're going to build a big tower. Now, many think they were going to try to build a tower up to heaven. Well, clearly they couldn't build a tower up to heaven. But what it was, that thing became an, an idol. It became idolatry. It became rebellion to God. God, we're not going to populate the earth. We're not going to do what you've asked us to do. Instead, we're going to take here and we're going to build this big tower. Some, one commentator I read said they think maybe what Nimrod was doing said, hey, you destroyed us one time with a flood. Well, we're going to build this big old tower. Try it again and see what happens and we'll get on top of this tower. How I many of you know you don't want to do that to God? But what he did, he, he wasn't going to destroy the earth again. He made that covenant. He said, okay, I'll confuse your languages. And he confused their languages. And most, I, got, I get a lot of this out of answers in Genesis. If you're here and you're raising young kids today, you need to be familiar with the answers in Genesis. You need to be familiar with Creation Ministries International. We had someone from Creation Ministries International here not long ago. We're looking at bringing them back in because I'm going to tell you, you're not going to hear any of this. You're not going to hear any of the creation story, which I'll be dealing with later. You're not going to, your kids are not going to hear that in the schools. They're not going to see that on TV. If they're going to hear what God has done, you're going to have to teach them that. That's the only way they're going to get it. But what they think happened is once he confused their languages, the people groups... So, so if this is a language, and this is a language, and this is a language, and this is a language, this group right here can communicate. They can, they can, they can. And they're going to say, well, let's just go on our own merry way. I can't talk to any of these other people anyhow. And when they finally did what God told them to do, go to different regions, then the genetic pool that each of those groups carried became very dominant. So you ended up with different characteristics. You ended up with different skin colors, eyes, all those things. Now, some do believe that maybe Adam and Eve... God and his sovereignty, they carried what was necessary. And maybe by the time Noah and his family entered the ark, there could have already been the genetic and the racial differences. I don't know. But I know this. From one blood and from one nation, we all trace back there. We just look different. So the origin of the races is not a curse. And it may have started at the Tower of Babel. But the question really is, where do we get our identity? That's, that's the problem in all this, is that people are getting their identity in something other than what the Bible says we should get our identity in. You may feel differently about this, but in our culture today, we, we have said, we've divided everybody. We said, well, they're African-American, they're Hispanic-American, Latino-American, Asian-American. Can we just all be Americans? That, I do. I just want to be an American. And if they're my countrymen, then I, I embrace them as my fellow countrymen. And the same is true even more so as a believer, as a Christian. Brother Dan is not my Hispanic brother in the Lord. Sister Vivi is not my African sister of the Lord or Sister Antoinette or Brother Jimmy. They're my brothers and sisters in the Lord. I don't see that any other way. Now, people, you've had people say, well, uh, I don't see race. Yes, I do. <laughs> Clearly, I do. That, that, that's, not a, uh, that's a foolish statement. But what I see there is my brother and sister in Christ. And that's what Paul was saying in 
Colossians 3 and 11. And Sister Christy, if you can, can you back that up to nine, and do 9 through 11 for me? I, sh- I meant to tell you that before service, and if you can't, that's okay. I've got it here. If that was Tammy back there, I'd hear about that when I got back into the car. I want you to know that when I pulled a fast one or that. But listen to Colossians 3, 9 through 11. Okay, this, this, is, this is Paul talking to the church at Colossae. He says, do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed according to the image of of him who's created. But then he says this after that, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, uncircumcised nor circumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. I have Galatians 3.28 referenced on your outline only because Paul says basically the same thing there, but he also adds there's no male and female. So what Paul was saying, when we come to the Lord and we realize we're made in His image, there's nothing that divides the body of Christ. And we should not be divided on those things. But the question is, still people get their identity in things. They get their identity in their race. They get their identity in their profession. I come out of a profession that a lot of people get their identity there. That's why suicide is so high, I think, amongst those who are in law enforcement and the military. They come out, well, if I'm not that, what am I? They get their identity and their sexuality. That's the problem. The problem isn't the the sin itself. It's where do you get your self-worth? What is it that makes you feel worthy? Is it your race? Is it your profession? Is it your sexuality? It's none of those things. It is that you are a son or a daughter of the Most High God. And that's how you should see yourself. That's how you should see your brothers and your sisters, regardless of how they look. Now, there's always going to be tension in that. Because it's always in our hearts. Trying to, Satan's always trying to use it. If he wants to do anything to the church, he wants to divide it. And he's done a very good job of that. I'm going to ask Brother Matt and the team if they'll come forward. I want to stop here because I, I, there's no way I would get through the next three. So you just keep that outline, put it in your... Put it in your uh, Bibles and we'll finish it next week. Look over it. I want to give you a little bit of homework. So for next week, I would like, um, I would like for you to read the book of Philemon. You're going to feel really accomplished. You, maybe you've never read a whole book of the Bible. Well, I want you to, you're going to read the book of Philemon. It's one chapter. So read the book of Philemon. Philemon was a wealthy man. He owned a slave named Onesimus. I want you to read the story of the woman at the well in John 4. And the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, 25 through 37. Because the question often comes up in our culture today, well, listen, how can this Bible be true? How can you serve this God if it condones and supports slavery? I mean, shouldn't we just throw it out because there, you know, there, there's no way we could serve a good God? Well, did it? What does the Bible say about it? We'll deal with that next week. And then Jesus is our example. He's our example in everything. And you think we're divided today in our nation? It ain't nothing like it was when he walked the earth. 
And we'll look at that. And we'll see how he dealt with people of a different race. How he dealt with people of a different gender. How he dealt with the lowest of low class. How he dealt with the sinner. All of which were way down here in the society he came in. And then how do we just, just what, 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 how do we deal with these race issues today? And I have, I have four things down there. Let me ask you, where do you get your identity today? Have you put your trust in Christ? That song they were singing about the thrones, the thrones that will acknowledge Christ. I think when we, t- when we read that, when we, we, when we sing that song, the first thing that comes to mind is the, is the wicked kingdoms, you know, the Irans, the, the North Koreas, and those thrones that, that are hostile to the gospel and hostile to Jesus. Those thrones are coming down. And that's true. That's true. But right now, what throne he wants, I have to ask myself, what is on the throne of my heart? You want to talk about a throne that's hard to come down? That's a hard throne to pull down. But there's thrones on our hearts. What's on the throne of your heart? He's come this morning. He wants you to find your identity in him. He wants you to find your identity in him. Because when you find your sense of identity in Christ and you find your self-worth in Christ, then you start to see your brothers and sisters whole, whole, whole completely different. Completely different. I'm going to ask everyone if you'll stand. If you bow your head just for a moment, I want to ask you, if you're here this morning, you've never repented of your sin, you've never known Christ, you've heard about him, you think about him, but you've never surrendered to him. It's one thing to have a head knowledge of him. It's another thing to have a heart knowledge. As you stand here this morning, if you're like, brother, something's missing in my life. During the worship, I could tell I was being drawn by the Lord. Because nothing I'm going to say up here, whether I say it well or don't say it well, is going to draw him to you. But his spirit will. It's when his Holy Spirit begins to move, that's what pricks your heart. That's what says something's missing in my life. And so if you're here this morning... And that's you. This altar is open. And we're going to all come up just a moment and just gather around and worship and pray for a moment. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, I'm going to ask you to come down and let us pray with you. Don't let your pride keep you from what God has for you. I'm going to ask everyone that will to come down. If you'll come down and Let's just gather up. So if you're visiting with us this morning, thank you for coming. We end our altar, we end our service around the altar praying for the needs. We believe in the praying for the needs of each other. This song, You're All I Need, You're All I Ever Wanted. Is that, is that your story? I, I sing that in faith. I sing it in faith. But he is all I need. He is all I need. So as, as Matt and the team begins to sing, if you'll just come forward for just a moment as we gather around and worship together a little bit up close to the altar and spend some time in worship and praise and praying for each other.